Hey everyone, if you like the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast, you might also appreciate the I Like Beer, the podcast. Listening to these guys is like being a fly on the wall of the pub with a few of your favorite mates having a pint. These professional beer appreciators have plenty of stories to share on everything from the mating habits of penguins to their behind-the-scenes brewery experiences. Check out the I Like Beer, the podcast, wherever you are listening to this show about coffee, or head to ilikebeerthepodcast.com. Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 15 of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. I'm Ryan Wolt, and this is the show where I bring you the stories of coffee professionals, entrepreneurship, and coffee education. Chris O'Brien, the founder and head roaster of Coffee Cycle Roasting in Pacific Beach, California, is back this week to talk about barista competitions. At least, that was the plan for the show. But as he and I often do, we got off on more than a few tangents, and this episode goes from the world of coffee competition into the economic impacts and innovations that come out of those competitions, and then that topic leads us into some social justice issues before we wind our way back around to the competition landscape. It's a lot, and there will be a bunch of extra info or clarifying content on RoastWestCoast.com. You can always go there after listening to these shows, to get recaps, coffee news, clarifying content, coffee education, and updates from our roast industry partners. If you are stoked on this show and you do feel coffee smarter after listening to it, please consider subscribing to the newsletter so you don't miss any future shows. Right now, take a big sip of your coffee. I hope it's a good one, because it is time to get coffee smarter with Chris O'Brien of Coffee Cycle Roasting on the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. I feel, like, I feel like a dad, you know? It's like everything I do, I'm just tired and I don't have the energy for it and I just do it anyway, you know? You kind of look like a dad, too. What's, you saying I'm getting fat? <laughs> no. I'm just saying, like, you know, it's the middle of the afternoon, you got your t-shirt on, you're just kind of lounging, you're yawning, it's, you know, middle <laughs> of the day. It seems very, very dad-like to me, I don't know. It's very real. I don't know. You kind of have kids. You got your employees. They I feel like kids a lot of the time. Kids. Yeah, they, they, they definitely do. Uh, did you notice I got a haircut? I, um... You never notice anymore, a Chris. a little fuzzy over there. You know, it's a little, uh, the picture. You know, honestly, I thought you grew hair. That's what I thought. <laughs> um, and it's, I, I feel like go we're back. growing apart, Chris. I feel like we're growing apart. <laughs> You don't even comment when I get a nice haircut. You don't even notice when I do have hair. <laughs> Welcome back to Roast West Coast, Chris. <laughs> maybe it's not just one-sided, you know, Ryan. Maybe maybe I don't feel like, you know, you think I'm pretty anymore. Chris, so. you've never gotten a haircut. And just because I said you looked like a dad doesn't mean I don't think you're you're not pretty. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. You're welcome. I'm not committing to saying that I do think you're pretty either because I feel like being a little attitude-y about it. <laughs> thanks, thanks for coming to help us get uh, 
Well, it's coffee smarter, but I actually wrote coffee smurder in the email. So that's uh, kind of indicates how this is going today. <laughs> <laughs> strong start. Strong start. I like it. Yeah, very strong. We can we can edit this out. Are you saying that wasn't deliberate? <laughs> I honestly I don't know if it was or not. <laughs> Maybe there's a we're in the multiverse and this is how they smell they smell spell. <laughs> this is how they This is how they do coffee smarting smartening in that universe uh i would like to talk to you about barista competitions chris uh you mentioned something to me when i saw you for a cup of coffee the other day about them in particular well for starters we should explain what they are and uh from there kind of go into how they impact the industry at large either through innovation or by spreading the word uh about the the skill of the barista and also is it I always say I I alternate between barista and barista. Hmm. Preference? Hmm. I mean, I don't I don't have a preference. You know, people ask me how to pronounce things all the time. They say, you know, what is what? How do you say that Ethiopia coffee over there? What's what's the name of that mill? I say I'm not Ethiopian. I don't know. I'm not <laughs> Italian. I don't know how to say barista barista. I I know what I've been told, and maybe that's wrong. I say barista. I don't know if I'm right. Well, let's start by describing uh, for the audience that is listening intently. If they haven't, if they haven't left by now, uh, after the first <laughs> few minutes of the show, they're definitely listening intently. What is a barista competition? Well, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to talk about, and you know, you you usually come up with the the topics for discussion on this is as I'm working or, or in the cafe and, you know, if a barista competition is mentioned or comes up just because it's, it's something sort of in our industry at a certain level, I often get a lot of surprise from customers that just have no idea that this is, this is even a thing. And it's not just a thing. There's, there's all kinds of different levels to it and different uh, types of barista or coffee competitions in general. So the uh, there's tasting competitions, there's the brewer's cup, um, which is how to brew a coffee and uh, manually and, and the, the selection of the coffee that you've used. But the most famous are the, are the barista competitions. And um, those generally get the, the most attention. And as I've already noted, <laughs> the amount of attention is dedicated to a certain subculture, I guess, is the best way to put it. But that being said, there is money and recognition. And, um, and there's certainly some, some benefits that go along with placing or, or being being well known in the barista competition fields. So these things get sponsored by big coffee companies, espresso machine manufacturers, uh, coffee cleaning product makers, you know, that sort of thing. They get sponsored at that level. And the barista competition, you know, people train for months for these. They, they put together a routine. And what it, it consists of basically is the barista has 15 minutes to present three different drinks to a series of subjective judges. So there's, I think, four judges that sit there and you serve them each an espresso round, a cappuccino round, and a signature drink round, which does not involve alcohol. There is another barista competition that does involve alcohol called the Coffee in Good Spirits competition. Um, But the barista comp involves the serving of those three different styles of beverages, espresso, cappuccino, and signature drink to a series of subject, subjective judges. 
They taste and evaluate each one, and as you serve them, you present them and you talk about the choices that you've made in serving them, the coffees that you've chosen to pull as the espressos, the recipe that you're using to pull the espresso, or the coffee that you've chosen to pair with the milk and the cappuccino, the other ingredients that you've chosen to pair with your coffee and um, for the signature drink. You uh, present them to these subjective judges, and they judge your presentation they judge the drink. And then there's also technical judges that follow you around with clipboards <laughs> and note all the different subtleties of your technical approach to brewing the coffee. If you are messy on the bar, basically, if you are extracting the espresso in a way that's not, you know, really ideal, if you're, if you're getting a lot of channels or uneven extraction in it, things like that. So there's technical judges and subjective judges. I'm not hearing you say anything about flavor yet. Is that part of this? So, yes. And and let's, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. I mean, I do mean to interrupt you, but before we go too much further, I want the audience to know, do all of the contestants get the same coffee to work with? No. So the choices of the coffee that you're choosing to use in each round are a huge influence in the overall score uh, as far as how they're tasting. But the choices are not just based on the taste, they're also based on the presentation of them. So as a subjective judge, you or I might like our coffee a certain way. We might have a favorite type of espresso or flavor in our coffee of whatever kind. We might like a cappuccino that always ha is paired with a more chocolatey, caramelly coffee. But the barista might decide to choose you know, a more citrusy coffee that some people might not like as much with milk because they've also chosen a certain milk that they want to go with that citrusy coffee or because they think that the taste of the milk when it's foamed when paired with the specific flavor brings together a certain combined flavor like an orange creamsicle type of thing and so the presentation will have to reinforce that choice and present it to the judges so that they can appreciate the deliberate nature of the coffee choices being made and the way that they're extracted. So it's very intentional in every step and they've set up the judging to judge every step, including the taste, of course, but only as a component of the overall presentation. So obviously you can't have your espresso taste bad or your cappuccino taste bad or your signature drink taste bad, but the way that they're presented might add weight to how much the judge enjoys it or rates it. That makes sense? Yeah, absolutely. I think I, I was imagining it all in my head and just thinking about when you, you said the word subjective and that kind of sent me spiraling. And so I was thinking about how the flavor or how the type of coffee or as I, I wasn't even thinking about the type of milk yet, but like how that might all impact me as a judge, which I should be a judge. I feel like that's one of the things I'm best at. <laughs> Judging people. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like I, I'm not going to be the guy who's going to, who's going to win the competition from the barista side. So I should be involved somewhere. I think. There you go. There you go. Maybe I can sweep up afterwards. I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you, you're 15 minutes, three categories. You prepare as a barista ahead of time by determining what, what products you're going to be sharing and how you're going to prepare them. And then they get judged uh, just to recap based on 
a combination of all those things, the presentation, the taste, the skill involved in the actual process. Um, that one was a, an interesting one that I thought, I'm assuming more than one competitor competes at a time. That might be the next question. Yes, but not with the same judges. Okay. So yeah, the judges are getting getting a whole presentation and they have their whole focus on the one competitor. And you know, I did say they're called subjective judges. I think the actual name for them is sensory judges, but I could be wrong on that. But yeah, you have your sensory judges and your technical judges. Okay. And either way, there's some subjectivity there based on what they see and sure. what their personal preferences are. And you mentioned, you know, the way they pull the espresso for extraction and, you know, somebody's style might not be what someone learned. You know, if you have a, I, I imagine there's traditionalists versus you know, more modern or innovative, and they're all kind of negotiating this space, uh, which also, yeah, uh, maybe we get into this at the end, but I'm assuming there's probably been some controversial, controversial victories or losses. Absolutely. Yeah, there's, there's, you know, a couple competitors that have really made big changes in the coffee scene overall based on what they did. And not all of them were winners. I think arguably one of the most influential if not the most influential coffee barista competition was by a guy who got second place in, I think, 2011 or so. He's the reason that you see this coffee grinder, the EK43, in almost every cafe. I mean, at some point, the EK43's qualities may have become popularized on their own, but there was a time when these things were sold with a sticker of this guy's face on the side of them because he really was the face behind this grinder and everybody wanted one because what what he did in that presentation. So, and then as far as traditionalists go, you know, there's a, there's a famous barista competitor who is a part owner in some shops in Los Angeles. And he was always, he was kind of always second place guy for all these years. And he was always a crowd favorite, but always second place. And then he came back and when he finally did win at nationals, he had brought a blender on stage for his signature drink when nobody had used a blender in a barista competition in like a decade, because that was all old school, you know, Frappa style from late nineties, early two thousands kind of thing. And so in 2014 or 15 or whenever it was that, that, that this guy won, he brought the blender out and everyone was kind of jaws on the floor, but also like if anyone can, can do it and get away with it, it's this guy and uh, and he won nationals with it. So, yeah, some, some cool stuff happens in the, on the competition scene, and it's really vigorous and a really impressive culmination of people's skills. As a coffee person, let's start there, on your side, why are these competitions of interest or important or of value? And then we'll follow that up by saying, as someone who buys a cup of coffee in a coffee roastery and, uh, or a coffee shop and makes a point to say, I want a good cup of coffee... Why do I, why am I interested? Why do I care? So, I mean, as a coffee person, you know, I try to pay attention to things that are going to shake up the industry. And that being said, you know, I, I don't follow competition that closely. Generally, if, if there's something that really is going to shake things up in the industry, you know, I hear about it one way or another, just by kind of keeping my eye open to media outlets uh, revolving coffee, like Roast West Coast. Mm. <laughs> sure that that might uh might bring it you know to my to my immediate attention um, i know that you don't listen to the show know... chris 
isn't it enough that I'm on it? You know, I I, I give you a pass because I know that yeah. you you've spoken on about half of the episodes, so we let it go. <laughs> well, and I I'm very appreciative of of the fact that you keep wanting me back for some reason. But you know, there's also ways that that barista competitions effects uh, kind of come across my radar in ways that. You know, I don't realize at first, you know, so I watched a barista competition won by this guy who was really originally a, a, um, he was in the wine industry and he used to go to, you know, vineyard to vineyard and then he became a coffee buyer. And so he'd go to coffee farm to coffee farm and he'd buy these green coffees for importers or for roasters. And, you know, when he won the barista competition, I wasn't really that thrilled about that victory because I didn't really feel like what he showed was really that innovative on a barista level. But, you know, I'm not one of the judges and I don't, like I said, I don't follow the scene that closely. So for all, for all I really know, um, it was totally legitimate to give him the win, but what he, the coffees he competed with and the presentation he made has impacted most high-end roasters in that there's a style of coffee processing now that's very popular and very sought after and, you know, has been spreading a lot on the producer level. Uh, it's called carbonic maceration. It's basically a, a kind of a intense anaerobic process where they, they really remove all the, the oxygen by pumping another gas into a, a sealed chamber. And you might've talked about some of this with either me or Siri before, you know, yeah. The big difference being that it's for that style of processing from traditional styles, which is where the wash stations just have either in a big pool of water, that's kind of open air or they're drying beans out in the sun. And this is like a very, very much a controlled science experiment to some extent. Right. And, you know, it's very impactful in a lot of ways because, for one, the infrastructure needed to do it at the producing level is very expensive. Um, you're talking stainless steel vats, compressed gases. And in a lot of the coffee producing places out there, you know, they're fertilizing with, with organic fertilizer from their actual farm or, you know, they're, they're reusing byproducts to make compost teas and whatnot. They're not going down to Home Depot and buying, you know, whatever they need to, you know, do this or ordering it from their website there. It's, it's a challenge to get some of this, this stuff to a lot of these places. I mean, there's, there's coffee farms that are barely accessible by motorized vehicle. So to get stainless steel vats that are capable of holding hundreds or thousands of pounds of coffee, um, thousands of pounds of coffee, and also, you know, carrying hundreds of pounds of compressed gas tanks up there. It's like, it's not really practical in any sense. So, you know, the fact that that style of preparation has been popularized is impactful on that farm level where it's kind of stratifying farms in some ways, but also giving some farms an opportunity to raise their income incredibly significantly if they can do the investment. And then the other, you know, one of the other elements of that that's really interesting is the fact that we've kind of, it kind of helped change some of the things that we look for in coffee, because a lot of the taste qualities that we find in a really good carbonic maceration would have been written off as flaws 15, 20 years ago, because those flavors would have only come from an imperfect fermentation of a more traditional style. 
but when you can control it in that controlled science experiment, like you, like you described, you can kind of make it something that actually tastes good, but as long as you're kind of controlling it really well and have that quality control that, that makes sure that you only get the things that you're trying to get. So yeah, I mean, something like that can have a huge impact. You know, there's the other one that puts that grinder in every cafe in the world. There's another one that says, hey, it's okay to have a blended drink on your menu in a specialty third wave cafe, you know? And so those are just three, you know, really interesting examples of how a barista competition can affect the coffee world at large from the producer level all the way to the consumer level where you can actually buy a blended drink in a third wave cafe sometimes now uh, without having to feel like you're at a Starbucks. Have you participated in any of these competitions or something similar? Oh no, I'm way too sloppy. <laughs> <laughs> then, I, then I'll uh, I'll adjust that question to say or uh, to a different question, a different tact, which is, you've mentioned these major impacts that that have come out, these innovations that have come out of a barista competition. For the people that are participating. Besides the victory, the feeling of victory that they might get that day, do these competitions actually impact their life? It sounds like the 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 first jump, the uh, the EK forty three, I think you said was the name of that uh, grinder. Sure. Yep. But do they benefit from that? Do they become people who are known in this industry? Does it give them more opportunities? It's a subculture, yes, but there are still, you know, stars in any industry to some extent. You know, it's. So I'm wondering if, if that's what happens here. That is another motivating factor is kind of the fame of being a coffee barista champion. And if so, if there are standouts that you're aware of. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, I've kind of avoided mentioning these competitors names just because at least one of them has sort of tarnished his reputation. But um I've certainly gotten more risque on this show before, so I, I'm not really uh, too worried about it if you want to know who they are. But absolutely, I mean, each one of those three competitors I mentioned has started a business partly based on their reputation, you know, from this. And in addition to having the reputation from that, you're able to get investment money from people that see that and see that success. And, and I'm sure you'd get, you know, job offers. I have a barista who works with me who is a certified counterculture trained barista, which is, you know, a larger coffee company on the East Coast that does a lot of coffee trainings and certifications and, you know, great trainings. We use the counterculture flavor, coffee tasting flavor wheel in our shop regularly. But he was trained and certified by a, a gal who was a U.S. barista champion. And so she has that job with counterculture and is able to train other baristas and be an authority on it because she is an authority. She's, she's won and placed high in national level competitions. And you really do have to be expert in a really wide variety of coffee aspects to place well in these. I mean, I think the description of the, the way the competition goes kind of points that out, but you have to have a good palate. You have to have a good knowledge of everything from the, you know, production to through the roasting to the extraction. You have to be personable and present things well in an entertaining fashion and a good communicator so they can all hear and understand you. And you have to be less sloppy than me, <laughs> you know, which is arguably something that I could maybe work on, um, but has never really been a goal of mine. Not, not being sloppy. I, I do work on that regularly, <laughs> but not 
being sloppy to the point where I could compete is not uh, not been a goal of mine. So yeah, I mean, it's it's really incredible what, what they do. And, and yeah, I'm grateful for a lot of the effect that a lot of those have had. And I've seen people compete or prepare for the Brewers Cup, which is different than the Barista competition. But in the Brewers Cup, you know, it's sort of a 50-50 judgment. 50% of it is sort of based on how well do you brew the coffee. And you can make certain choices on that that can be innovative or or just impactful. Uh, but then the other half is uh, is which coffee are you choosing to present. And I remember watching my friend uh, prepare for his competition at Nationals. And, you know, they roasted this very special coffee just in practice. And they, they got a good roast on it. And then they tasted it every single day from the day it was roasted to determine which day was the best day to present that coffee on. So five days after roast or four days after roast, which one tastes better. And that way, when the actual date of the competition rolled around, they could have a supply of coffee ready to brew that was exactly four days from roast so that they knew that they were presenting it on the ideal day. And they'll get into, you know, things like water chemistry and brewing temperatures and water stream thicknesses going into grounds beds and, and all kinds of things like that that really um, do affect the flavor of the coffee and how well it's brewed. But ultimately, that competition is is a blend of that aspect, all the technical choices you made to extract coffee in general, and then the other aspect of which coffee are you choosing to present. So that in some ways is almost a roaster competition because you're really competing with which coffee you're able to source and, and roast well. It seems to me just as listening to you talk about these two different styles of competition, that one value there too is that it encourages it encourages people in the coffee profession to look at the work that they do and to do it with, with precision and intention and to try to look for ways that they can improve or create a unique experience, which ultimately will transfer to a guest at some point in the future. And whether it's just that one person who's working towards becoming the Brewers Cup champion, they will then influence other people who are in that industry to follow their lead. And two things I want to clarify, you said something about a national competition, but uh, I'm assuming there's international competitions and international competitors Mm -hmm. in competitions, say in the United States or everywhere, because coffee is such a worldwide experience. Absolutely. You know, there's in the U.S., there's regionals before you get to nationals. And then, you know, the only people who compete at the international level are people that have already won their respective national competitions. And one of the really cool things we've started seeing this year and in previous years in the international competition is that we're starting to see more barista winners from coffee producing countries. And as someone who's really tries to be really um, dedicated to recognizing the effort and the, the skill that's put into coffee at that farm level and at that producer level, you know, it's really encouraging to see that be reflected, or at least that, that greater awareness of that effort to be reflected in how much support baristas are getting to train and prepare for this in those countries and how much uh, recognition they're getting for all that hard work that they're doing. I cannot remember right now, and I should have prepared for today by, by looking looking it up and refreshing my memory. I cannot remember who won this year's uh, 
World Barista Competition, but I believe they were from, you know, a coffee producing country. And I think it was the first time that that country had ever won a international barista competition. So, you know, that's a really cool trend that we've been seeing in the international competitions. But it's also internationally is also a really cool forum for some of the political advocacy that we see in coffee. I think coffee is a really wonderful industry in that being an entry-level job in most ways in the cafe where those entry-level job people have a, a voice where they're, they're interacting with customers in a, in a fairly organic way in many settings. You know, I mean, I let my shop be pretty free reign with most people and I've worked in shops that are a little bit tighter, but even in a shop where the, the customer experience is a lot more controlled by management and, you know, what I would call sterilized, uh, I still think that baristas have a pretty loud voice compared to a lot of other industries. And I think that we see that in that a lot of, uh, a lot of coffee industry gets a lot of excellent advocacy for things that are really important. You know, basically just social justice, social justice issues in general. And I love to see that that, that brought up in our industry regularly, and it always needs to be brought up more um, in our industry and in every other industry. But it's interesting when on that international level, some of those social justice issues come up on, you know, the international stage. And I think most recently, you know, there was uh, the barista competition at one point recently was supposed to be held in Dubai. And there were some competitors that due to their identities were uh, either uncomfortable or not even necessarily allowed to be in that country in a way that was uh, that was really acceptable. And so the, the coffee industry spoke out really strongly against that. And I, I think the, the competition did proceed there. And, um, and, you know, like I said, I don't follow these things super closely all the time. But I think that that's super important for us to have that really big pushback against that and say, hey, like just just like with the Olympics in China this year and their treatment of Uyghur Muslims, I think it's really important to have that loud international voice that says, hey, something about this is not okay. We cannot give our tacit support to this. So yeah, international barista competitions are are a thing. And they are very important. And in some ways, it's it's like a, a World Cup or an Olympics of, of, of coffee because you do have to be really high level just to get to the national level. And then you have to be incredibly good to get beyond. And another interesting thing is that, you know, international judges don't always look for the same things that national judges do. One of the three national competitors that I mentioned earlier, you know, he finally won and he got there with his blender routine. But there were some things that he did with his espresso that, you know, in the U.S. we like, but that in most other countries are not very popular. And I'm talking about, you know, pulling some shorter, a little bit less extracted, but higher viscosity shots with, with lighter espresso, lighter roast espresso. So, and those can be really challenging and really divisive. And, you know, I think as a whole, the coffee industry has moved a little bit away from that or moved significantly away from that. Well, that doesn't mean they don't have a place and at least a place in our, in our history as an industry, just like the blender does. And so I thought it was great that he won nationals, but it was really kind of not shocking that he didn't do as well internationally. So yeah, just a lot, a lot of different things come into play differently on the national versus international scale. And I don't really know how that plays out on the regional versus national scale, 
Um, I have watched some regional competitions and there are some interesting things that go on there. You know, everyone's got something creative to them, I believe. And I love to see that happen in our, in our, in our industry and coffee. I think that I would just add to that by saying that when you mentioned regionally too, we are in a, you and I are in a large uh, metropolitan community that has a pretty thriving coffee scene. Definitely one that's up there. But if I were still in a small community, uh, my hometown, for example, I don't think, I think there's only one person that's like publicly roasting coffee on their own. People in other communities that may not be quite to that same level yet, they're going to be looking to these competitions because there is attention on them. And they're going to be saying, what are they doing? Where can I go to learn to do what they're doing? So there's value there too. And uh, listening to you talk about social justice in particular and, and advocacy, I'm, I'm a big sports fan and I come from a kind of a sporting background to some extent. And it kind of reminds me of even very recent examples of how sports communities got together and used their voice to say, we're not going to play in your state unless you make some changes for the better, whether it's for voting rights in Georgia or anti-trans bills in North Carolina um, with professional sports leagues, moving games and moving, you know, competitions and championships. And, and while the numbers might not be quite the same, I think, I don't know if the barista championships are on ESPN yet, but you know, there is definitely a devoted following of coffee people who would, who would respond to that. And when you mentioned Dubai in particular, and so not just overseas and internationally, but also right here at home, you know, and we're seeing that kind of across the country right now in Florida with Disney being pressured to address the, the LGBTQ bill that's going through. Yep. And it's, it is amazing how, yeah, we're on this show to talk about coffee. And we started by talking about, you know, this fun barista competition, which I imagine is probably pretty fun. It's it's pretty cool to see. (laughs) It connects, you know, there's a through line to all of these things that we were choosing to support and follow. And I love that coffee is part of that. I look at, uh, and I'm just going to relate a little story, which is I did come from a small uh, town and relatively small town in the Midwest. And if, Can you tell this in song, Ryan? No. Just get the guitar from the room and then sing it to us. I was born in a small town. <laughs> uh, I did own a guitar at one point. I'd never learned how to play it, but I did carry it around at parties. <laughs> but what I would say is I, I, I got into sports very young, and because of sports, I traveled, and at least regionally, and I met people from larger cities and uh, different backgrounds. And I didn't know it at the time, but that had a huge impact on me as a person and how I judged other people because I was able to have that experience, whereas some of my classmates or even family members didn't have that. And now as adults, we have differing opinions on things and differing experiences to look back on. And coffee and this coffee barista, there's people that are traveling to these coffee events or regionally or locally or nationally, and they're having that same experience. And You can find that in sports, you can find it in coffee, you can find it in church, you can find it, you know, anywhere. It it all creates this kind of collective experience where we have commonalities and we see those commonalities more and more and more, the more that we experience events like that. Well, thank you. Was was I right? 
to want to talk about competitions. Was this a good episode? <laughs> yeah, I mean, sure, it's always a good episode with you, Chris. Oh, shucks. I wasn't really fishing for that. I just, I, well, I guess I was, but, you know. <laughs> well, it's uh, it has nothing to do with the, with the competition. It's because when I go back later to edit, I can see on the screen that, like, okay, here's where I checked out and Chris talked for 20 minutes. Oh, yeah, there, <laughs> there I am again. Uh, it's just a lot easier on me. But I do appreciate I appreciate the time and I appreciate your willingness to engage on, you know, sometimes topics that seem innocuous at first. I certainly wasn't expecting to get into some of these things today, but your willingness to go there. So thank you for that. Of course, man. And I always appreciate your perspective on those, too. So it's always nice to bring them up with you because, you know, it's I love talking about coffee. I love the tastes of coffee. But, you know, something I do talk about in, in my shop when I do trainings is. You know, it doesn't really matter how good the coffee is if we're not doing something with it. If you're not, if your coffee isn't good enough to start a conversation about where coffee is coming from and its supply chain and, you know, all these hands that touch it, like, all right, sure, it might be a living for me or for my barista and it might be a nice calm moment in the life of the mom or nurse or whoever it is that comes in to get the cup of coffee, you know. It might be all those things, but none of none of the things that matter about that are actually to do with the coffee. They're about the people. You know, the people in the community that we have around coffee is always the most important thing. So, you know, if a barista competitor starts anaerobically fermenting the cherries or it starts getting this new grinder in or starts, you know, the whatever the whatever it is. It doesn't really matter unless it's connecting us as people and giving us a chance to do a better job by each other because we all should be able to do well by each other. I think. <laughs> I think that's a great place to end it. And I think we should both go take a nap because <laughs> I think we both started this conversation and I'm just, I'll be honest, I was a little tired. I'm a little worn out. And now I just feel like I want my brain to think on all of that, but I don't want to actually have to do any of the work. And a nap is going to be the best way to do it. <laughs> That's that sounds good. That sounds good. Chris, thank you for uh, being on the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast and uh, giving me a lot to think about. Sweet dreams, Ryan. <laughs> Man, I couldn't have written that one. Good for you. <laughs> Sweet dreams. <laughs> <laughs> I was like waiting to say it too I'm keeping that one in there there's no question about it oh boy to recap what I learned today is fourfold first when Chris and I don't record a show for a while we need a few minutes to get through the jokes and the ribbing and turn the coffee smartening wheels back on. Second, barista competitions are not only fun celebrations of this amazing beverage, they are also sources of innovation and inspiration in the coffee community at large. The barista competitions are generally judged on three different coffee presentations, once each for espresso, cappuccino, and a signature drink. The judging is based on so much more than just flavor. Competitors are judged on their choice of coffee and its characteristics, taste, presentation, and their technical skills. It should be noted that Chris is not up for a competition spot because as he self-proclaims, he's a bit too sloppy on the bar, which 
Yeah, I have to agree. But in his defense, the flavor results speak for themselves. Coffee Cycle Roasting is putting out some amazing coffee drinks. Third, I did some post-show research, and barista is from the Italian and Spanish words for bartender. It has been documented that the term has been used to describe someone serving hot and cold drinks in a coffee house since at least 1916. As for pronunciation, we're both right. Barista is a common pronunciation in the United States and Italy, although the Italian pronunciation drags the E sound in the middle. Barista. Barista is the more common usage in the UK and Western Europe when speaking English. And lastly, I should be a competition judge. I really like judging things. I'm judging this cup of coffee I'm drinking right now. And I have to say, I'm doing a really good job of it. If anyone out there wants a podcast host and a passionate coffee drinker added to their judging table, give me a shout. And not just for your barista competitions. I'll judge anything, about coffee or not. During today's show, we referenced carbonic maceration coffee processing, which was actually a coffee vocab term in a previous season of this show. I'll link to that episode on processing on roastwestcoast.com. But as a reminder, carbonic maceration is a type of coffee bean processing where the beans are kept at lower temperatures in sealed tanks for up to three days. The restriction of oxygen and the increase in CO2 slows down the process of sugar breaking down, which allows for a longer fermentation period, which then creates a very unique flavor profile. That's all the coffee smartering we can do today. I want to thank you for listening and for supporting your local coffee roasters. There are so many great coffee roasters and coffee professionals out there. Each week on this show, I thank the Roast West Coast Coffee Industry Partners. As I swing into the final quarter of Season 4, I've realized that most of these partners have been with me for at least a year. That's pretty amazing. So a very big thanks to Café Terre, Moster Coffee Company, Leap Coffee, Marea Coffee, Steady State Coffee Roasting, Coffee Cycle Roasting, Camp Coffee Company, Cape Horn Coffee Importers, First Light Whiskey, and our first ever supporter and interviewee, Zumbar Coffee and Tea, thanks to the owner Steve, his support really gave the show a boost at the very beginning, and our newest partner, Ignite Coffee Company. Links to all of those great roasters are right there on the front page of this show's newsletter at roastwestcoast.com. And if you have a question you want answered on a future episode of Coffee Smarter, hit us up on Instagram at roastwestcoast. Kim, if you're out there listening, I'm on that question about frothing milk. Stay tuned and I'll be sure to get that answered before the next Coffee Smarter episode. This particular episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast is, was, has been written, produced, and recorded by me, Ryan Wolt. I hope this show has found you happy, healthy, and with at least enough sanity and coffee to make it through the day. And please, always tip your baristas. And be sure to drink good coffee. Hey out there, thank you for listening all the way to the end of the show. If you liked this episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast, I just wanted to let you know that we now have Tip Your Barista stickers available online. Check out the most recent post on Roast West Coast to get yours. 
I'll be tipping a barista for every sticker sold. And if you want more coffee content, please consider buying us a cup of coffee or signing up for a paid subscription to the Roast West Coast newsletter. That'd be really cool, and with enough subscribers, we'd be able to focus on creating coffee content for you all day, every day. Subscriptions are a great way to show appreciation for this show. Just head to RoastWestCoast.com to subscribe or to leave a tip. And it is still March, so I'll be donating 100% of the new subscriber proceeds to a humanitarian aid group supporting Ukrainian refugees. There are links on RoastWestCoast.com to some of those groups if you're interested in doing so yourself. Thanks for listening, everyone.